the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for three. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. And if this is the first time you heard the show again, welcome aboard. The show is in a couple of parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, mostly our main objective is to save assets from nursing home bills. And, you know, we got a full house today. We've got my wife, Beth. My son, Michael. Hello, everyone. And Mel Jose. Now, what's your... Hey, everyone. Show, it's good Mom. to be back here. What's your name again? What's your full name? My, Ismail. It's Ismail Jose. Okay. So where are you from originally? I was born and raised in the Philippines. Um, I've been, I'm admitted to the Philippine Bar and to the New York State Bar. I've practiced law over there for a little... About 10 years until I moved to New York. And I've been here in Connor Sullivan for like a little over six years now. Okay, now it came up that, you know, we were just talking, but how did the Philippines get its name? So uh, when the Spaniards came and discovered the islands, <laughs> someone decided, let's honor King Philip, and they call it Philippines. <laughs> okay. Now, the Spanish, I thought Magellan discovered the Philippines. Yeah, Magellan's Portuguese, but he, he, you know, he did a travel under the auspices of Spain. The, the travel was funded by Spain, although he was Portuguese. So Spain claimed the credit. Okay, and actually Magellan didn't do too well in the Philippines, did he? Yeah. There are rumors, you know, <laughs> there are rumors. Well, I don't think it's rumor. <laughs> He didn't get out of there, right? He did not. No, the rumor is what happened to him there. So, <laughs> but he also kind of played like played politics with with the natives. So he got caught in that. Uh, there are rumors, you know, that he didn't win the fight and got you know speared. But a, a different kind of rumor I don't want to share on, on the radio. <laughs> Justin would probably share that. All right. Well, let's not talk about Justin. We'll, we'll, we'll tell, let him speak for himself in another show. Wait, wait. You started it. You've got to tell the story. So there were rumors that you know they were eaten by the natives, which is really not true. Um, there are 
um, accounts from people who, you know, who joined the travel and was able to return back to Spain and said, no, there was a fight. And then he's, he got speared by some of the natives. All right. In any event, let me, well, let me ask you this. Let's stay on this for a minute. What are the differences, the main differences between the law in the Philippines and the law in the U S and the law in New York more specifically? So it's, um, Maybe at, at some point, let me start this by saying that at some point back in uh, a little after the war, um, the Philippines was actually a commonwealth of America. So most of the Supreme Court decisions over there are appealable to the United States Supreme Court. And even when I was in law school, most of the jurisprudence that we've studied are really American jurisprudence. Um, so, yeah, as far as real estate law is concerned, the Philippines follows what we call a torrent system, where the government issues title. New York has done away with that, I believe, back in the 70s. Now, we we use title companies to ensure title of a buyer. We're not saying that you are going to be the full owner, but we're saying that if someone shows up and say, I am the true owner, you haven't bought the right property, there's a title company that's going to give you back your money. Well, you know, I don't. I I think Torrance because when I went to law school, they just still had the Torrance system in Canarsie and some parts of Long Island. And for those of you who say, "What are you guys talking about?" Well, the Torrance system was what some people think is a deed. In other words, in other words, to transfer a title, you needed to show up with your original deed. And if you didn't have your original deed, you couldn't transfer a title. You'd have to get a court order to replace it. Now, that's been abolished in New York, but it, I think it was later in the seventies. Because when I went to law school and when I came out of law school and first practice, there were a few um, Torrance closings we did here and there. So um, I, I think it's much later. It might have been the 80s or 90s where they, they got away with the, the Torrance system. And again, that right now, so if you own a deed to your house, you lose your deed. It's not a big deal. You go on the Internet, depending on what year you bought the house, assuming you bought the house in the, in the 60s, mid-60s or after, you go on the internet, you get a copy of your deed, and that's it. And your buyer, when you when you sell your house, will get a title company to research title, and, and you really don't need to have your deed at the closing. Um, unlike a stock certificate to a co-op, where ordinarily you do need to have the stock certificate, of course, they can always replace one with some affidavits or whatever. But the actual deed to your property is not important. Um, make sure your tax bill is in your name. And if you ever want to check, it's called ACRIS. You can type in A-C-R-I-S. You have your address. You can eventually get a copy of the deed to your house, which some people get upset about because they say, wait a minute, my neighbor can see the deed of my house? Yeah, there's no privacy in who owns your house. There's no privacy mm -hmm. who's on a deed. So, um, yeah, there's good and bad to that. And I know sometimes we do a trust, and we do a trust, and maybe we name one son or daughter as trustee, and the deed is recorded with that child as trustee, and then maybe one of the other children gets on the Internet and says, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why is my brother, why is my sister the trustee? And, of course, some people don't explain, don't understand what a trust is, and they think the deed was transferred to that brother or sister where it may be just done, you know, in trust, uh, which is ordinarily the right way to, to transfer real estate. But Mel, what questions do you have? You've been going over some of the questions we got from the email. Actually, it's a good segue, though. You mentioned about uh, families' names being on a deed. The first question has something to do with that. Mr. Connors, what's the big deal about probate? Okay. 
Uh, you know, we constantly keep talking about avoiding probate. And what's the big deal about probate? Well, you know, we're in Brooklyn right now. Our main office here is in Bay Ridge, and that's where we tape our shows from. But there was a judge in Brooklyn, a surrogates court judge in Brooklyn, who did not sign one single order for 18 months at one point during the COVID crisis. And so, in other words, she collected her salary for 18 months, but she didn't sign one order, which means, let's say you had a simple will. I leave the house to my son and my daughter. No problems, no objections, no legal questions whatsoever. The papers get submitted. If it got submitted to that judge, the family could easily be waiting 18 months, and it's not like the the, the spigot opened on the 18th month, there were still delays because when the judge was eventually replaced, the new judge has got to learn the files, got to look at the files, and they're still hindered by, you know, not being at full staff because of COVID. And it's not like, you know, things are a lot better right now. Things are kind of opening up. But the court system is still backed up because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Things are not operating the way they used to operate. And listen, there was always bureaucracy and red tape. But probate is a court proceeding. And it comes from the Latin to prove. And basically, a lot of people don't understand this. If Let's say you have a deed to the house and it's in your name alone when you pass away. Everybody who's your next of kin by law has to be officially notified in order for that will to be probated. And they're given the opportunity to contest the will. And you might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean by my next of kin? You know, I, I have a, a son I haven't seen him in 20, 30 years. He's not going to be my will, so he doesn't have a right to contest it. Yes, he does. A son you haven't seen in 20 or 30 years, black sheep of the family, you know, was moved out of state years and years ago, um, still has to be officially notified and given an opportunity to contest the will. And, and sometimes when you go through probate, it's almost like an, an invitation, I would think, the way the citations are issued in, in Supreme Court. It's almost an invitation. Hey, come in and contest this will. You might get something. <laughs> So ordinarily you want to avoid it. And even if everybody in the family gets along, it's still bureaucracy and red tape. And, you know, and, and the problem is if you are going to disinherit somebody, you're not going to leave a full share to one of your children or nephews and nieces, depending on what your family tree is. If they go in and, and it's a kind of like a, a, a fact that that's just there, they're going to file objections to your will. They're going to get a settlement because that's the way the world works today. You know, file objections. The court wants to settle everything. And the person who's objecting to your will may be a son or daughter or nephew or niece you haven't seen in 20, 30 years. File objections to your will and they get a settlement because maybe, let's say you got 10 nephews and nieces. You're not naming one of them. He files objections to will. He keeps everything held up for years, the other nine. So maybe they say, hey, why don't we just pay our cousin off? And you don't want to go through probate right now. And it, it's there's not as much common sense as you might think with the system. It's bureaucracy, bureaucracy rules. And if you can avoid probate, you want to avoid probate. And you avoid probate when you pass away. There are no assets in your name alone when you pass away. If you have bank accounts, you have it in trust for joint. You have mutual funds, brokerage accounts. You have them transfer on death with a beneficiary. IRAs, you have beneficiaries. Insurance policies, you have beneficiaries. But if you have real estate, the best way to avoid probate with real estate is through a trust agreement. And if you want to give us a call, Connors and Sullivan say, hey, I, I heard you, you want to avoid probate. Why do you want to avoid probate? And what can I do to avoid probate? 
you know, give us a call. And we're going to be doing seminars the end of June. Um, so you can take a look at, at those seminars. And when we start opening up, half of our seminars probably about how to avoid probate. Now, Mel, what's the other question you have floating around? Talking about leaving assets to your beneficiaries is a good question. Mr. Connors, I own a small business, and I want to leave it to my two sons when I die. Do I need the will to do this? I guess it depends. Well, it depends on your age. Yeah, if you're relatively young, I might do it through your will. And, of course, if the two beneficiaries are your only beneficiaries. The other thing is now it depends what kind of business does it need a professional license or whatever. But 90% of the businesses we can put in a trust. If it's a corporation, we put the stock certificate to the corporation in the trust. If it's an LLC, we put the membership interest in the trust. And again, who the trustee is, that's what we talk about, whether it's, in this case, your sons. Uh, that's that's what he said, right? The, mm -hmm. two your two sons. sons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's your sons that are members of the LLC. Maybe you're still the member of the LLC, but you name your sons as successive members through your trust. But it, it can go seamlessly. And, and here's one other thing, too, when you own a business. You know, sometimes, let's say you got a husband and wife. Husband has a will. He leaves everything to his wife. And he has a business. And, and let's say he has a, a child from a previous relationship. Husband dies. Wife wants to sell the business. She's left to it under the will. She's got to go through probate, even between husband and wife. There, there's no, you know, it's not automatic that the property goes to the, the wife. If it's in the husband's name alone, that business, that's going to go through probate. The son could put a, uh, can contest the will, file objections to the will. In some cases now, they can just do some delaying tactics, hoping that in the delaying tactics that they will get a settlement and get something out of this case. So even between husband and wife, we want to avoid probate. And again, you avoid probate when you pass away. There are no assets in your name alone when you pass away. Now, let me ask you this question. Is it similar to the probate system in, in the Philippines as to New York? Oh, well, yeah, it's night and day. Um, you don't want to go through probate there. Nobody does. Um, maybe, you know, 90% of people don't do it. There's such there's such thing called as extrajudicial settlement of estate. Even if you are in a blended family situation or multi-family situation, back in the day, people tend to have seven, eight, nine children and grandchildren and stuff like that. So the way to avoid all the cost and delay of going through probate is to do what we call extrajudicial settlement of estate, maybe with sale, maybe with donation, but there's a two-pronged approach. You don't go through probate there. It's The probate here in New York is lengthy, and it could take two, three years, maybe, tops. In the Philippines, it can if, if you're talking about a million dollar in a state above and there's fighting, it could take 10, 20 years, and you're still not done. I remember one case in Ireland, I think it took 20 years or something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, mm -hmm. A brother and sister who couldn't get along, they had a property in Ireland, they had property in the States, and I think it took about 20 years till they both died, you know? So the workaround, there's the extrajudicial settlement of the state. Everyone sit down, sits down, discuss what they want to have, what they want to give, and just you know put it in writing. Let me ask you something. Let's say I wanted to go over to the Philippines and buy some land. Can I just do that? Well, first of all, it's going to be hot there. I warn you. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Uh, the, uh, right now, the Constitution, as it is, prohibits um, non-Philippine non, non citizens from owning real estate. But there are ways, you know, where you, you can probably own, you know, some condos in exceptions. But the general rule, non-Filipino citizens are not allowed. Unless you're naturalized Filipino, the Philippine law allows dual citizenship. 
or unless you have lost Filipino citizenship because you were naturalized in the States, then they will give you uh, allow as an exception. But for the most part, no. Well, let's say for the sake of argument, you're an American citizen. Your parents are from the Philippines. And your mother, your father, leaves your property under a will in the Philippines. Can you own it? Yes. You, without oh, well, a problem. If you follow the letter of the Constitution, testamentary succession, no. In Tessie, yes. But, you know, it's it's up for grabs with the Supreme Court. You, you can probably contest it. Wait, there's only one way to inherit. My parents left me the property through their will. The Constitution doesn't allow that. But maybe jurisprudence, who knows? So needless to say, if you own some property in the Philippines, maybe you should talk to Mel here. Don't talk to me about that one because that's, you know, <laughs> that's not something I know very much about. It's it's very complicated even for Filipino lawyers. So let's see what happens in the next five years, 10 years. Okay, so let me ask you something. How do you, how do you become, you're a lawyer in the Philippines. How do you become a lawyer in New York? Yeah, so remember... Uh, the Philippines was formerly a Commonwealth of America. Most of the decisions of the Supreme Court are appealable to the United States Supreme Court. So we have a blended legal system. I think New York follows both common law and civil law. Philippines is like that too. So what do you do? You submit your credentials to the New York State Bar Association. They evaluate it and say, oh, it's the same as what we have in New York. Okay, you can take the bar exam. I took the bar exam back in um, 2014, passed, and here I am. <laughs> now, can I go to the Philippines and take the bar there? You have to take uh, at least one year of school. So it's not it's not mutual. It's not it's not. And besides, the bar exam there is one of the most difficult in the world. I would suggest. I'm not you know modesty aside. Like, except last year, which has been really compu- you know crazy, seventy percent passing rate. My time, twenty percent passing rate national. It's great. One, I think one of the most difficult bars exams in the world, uh, other than Japan and probably somewhere in Korea. Why is that so? Do you have any ideas? Uh, my opinion is just, you know, I think it's just, it's not structural in a sense that, you know, every year when there's a new Supreme Court justice appointed, he's the one tasked with looking for the examiners who tend to give exams just like what they do in law school. So, they pull off all those difficult questions in there and just, you know, remove your confidence as you sit down in that bar exams. Kind of what like I do with attorneys meetings here sometimes. I know. I think that's how you did when I started here. <laughs> Where do you live now? In New Jersey. Okay. Who's in your family? My wife and my two kids. <laughs> well, what's so funny about that? Two <laughs> Beth, get on the get on the microphone I'm if you're sitting in the that. back. He has two adorable boys. What what are their names? They are sweethearts. Uh, the, the the firstborn is Magnus Leon, and then the second one is uh, Lucy and Marcello. So yeah, the names are. You have you know, a beautiful family, a beautiful wife, and two beautiful boys. Thank you, know, you Mrs. So Connors. Just love them. They grow up very quickly. <laughs> they do. They do. And of course, you know, like here in New York, you you don't do a lot of estate planning with uh, land in the Philippines, although you do do some. But basically, Mel is our real estate guy, our go-to real estate guy in the in our office here. And if you you, you want to get a deal closed, you talk to Mel. 
And Mel, you're mostly in Brooklyn, but you go all over the city. Find you. We can we, we can find you. We have offices in Staten Island, in Bayside, Mill Village, in Manhattan. Our number seven one eight two three eight sixty five hundred. You know, if you can't come, just let us know. We can even go to your place. All right. Seven one eight two three eight sixty five hundred. All right. Thank you, Mel. Thank you for being on uh, Ask the Lawyer today. Thanks for having me here. It's always a pleasure. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Um, you know, it's 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 not that often that I really, really admire a guest. Yeah, there, there are people I do admire. But our, our next guest is somebody that I admire very much as, you, you know, as a filmmaker. And I know some of you are going to say, well, wait a minute, what Western film director... Is he going to be talking about right now? 
And we're not going to be talking about a Western film director or a guy who did historical movies like Gettysburg or Copperhead. We're going to be talking about a Polish-born director who has done a lot of films about the Holocaust, about World War II, and post-World War II Europe, about the battles of the world against communism. And she did a film... Her name, I'm sorry, is Agnieszka Holland. She did a film not that long ago about the Ukraine in 1931, 1932. And I know, you know, we, we, we talked about Bitter Harvest or whatever, which is the same time period. And Bitter Harvest is, is a good Americanized type of film that tells the story of the Holodomor from where Stalin basically eliminated the Ukrainian population and decimated, more than decimated, decimated means 10%. You know, he, he killed the Ukrainian population, populated with some of the areas with Russians, which is, of course, one of the reasons why we have so many problems today. But she, she did a movie about a newspaper reporter who, reporter who I never really uh, had heard about before the movie, Garrett Jones, who was British educated from Wales, and he had some contacts with Lloyd George, and he used those contacts to get through and around the Soviet system back then. And one of his pretenses was, is Russia prepared for war against Hitler's Germany? Of course, at that time, Hitler was just barely coming up in in the ranks, so to speak. And on that pretext, he got a pass to see the Russian or the Ukrainian defense factories. And he escaped from there and then started reporting on what was actually going on in Ukraine in, in the 1930s, where Stalin was literally exterminating millions and millions of people. Some people are saying like 25,000 a day for years. And more than a few million Ukrainians were killed that time period. We've had other reasons. Stalin hated the Ukraine. They were too Christian. They were too independent. Um, and they just were an obstacle to communism and collectivism. So he decided the Ukraine should be destroyed. And if you, if you watch Bitter Harvest, you know, part of it, if the, you know, he's in that film and part of it, he says, well, if we, if we kill all the Ukrainians, who's going to care? No one, no one's going to know anything about it. But in any event, one person who did know about it was Garrett Jones, who was a newspaper reporter who at great risk, and if you haven't seen the movie, please see the movie who at great risk toured around Ukraine, made his reports he was ridiculed by the New York Times reporter. They just said that it was, quote, fake news. And, you know, nobody believed him. Some people did believe him. William Randolph Hearst believed him. And then eventually Malcolm Muggeridge, a great writer, commentator, Christian commentator of, you know, the 20th century, smuggled some more reports out of the British um, political attaches, smuggled some more reports and the truth gradually got known, although nobody really wanted to accept it because the New York Times, the you know the number one standard for news reporting, said it wasn't happening. And this is what this film is about. And again, if you haven't seen it, Mr. Jones, about a newspaper reporter in the Ukraine in 1931, and the director says that part of the story is what's the reason today and, you know, I've heard this from other people, too. If you go into a lot of Russian houses, 
they have a picture of Joe Stalin on the wall. And it's still, Stalin is kind of like a hero to a lot of Russian people, old-time Russian people. And part of it is she has miseducation. And, of course, she did this movie to, to bring some education out about what's going on. Of course, a lot of people are probably not even going to believe this movie. But she is a, a fighter for freedom, a fighter against communism. She was, in fact, imprisoned in, in 1968 when the Czechoslovakian result revolts were going on you know uh a champion of freedom and we're very good we're very pleased to have miss holland on next i think i just found myself believing that i didn't need god i just had everything under control and church was actually a, a burden to me i might have gone to church you know at christmas time gradually quit going no i didn't take my faith seriously which which probably means i i never really got it to begin with you can have a beautiful car a big fancy home. If you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Ask the Lawyer Connor's Corner segment of of the show. And right now we're pleased to have one of the great directors of our time, if not the greatest director of our time, Agnieszka Holland. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, thank you. But, you know, a little while ago I saw on, on YouTube in the United States a film, Mr. Jones, which you directed, and a very powerful film. And can you tell the audience a little bit about the story and why did you decide to direct this film? One of the reasons it was that I found this story very re relevant, unfortunately, and um, it was a bit like the warning. Uh, the story uh, speaks about the situation in the um, 1930s. A young Welsh journalist, um, a very intelligent one, uh, who had the great political instinct, was interested in Russia. And um, he decided to go there because in uh, his mind, the things um, which um, the Russian propaganda was stating and the reality, like, didn't, didn't add together. Uh, so he went to Russia. He tried to interview Stalin. Uh, he didn't succeed. Uh, he made contact with an um, American um, New York Times correspondent um, in Moscow, Walter Durant. He had the great respect for the man because he was Pulitzer Prize and so. And then he realized that something wrong is going on in Ukraine. And he decided um, with a great personal risk to, to go there, even if it was forbidden, and to see with her own, uh, with his own eyes, what is going on, and he discovered incredible crime against humanity, the famine, which uh, Stalin uh, practically, in purpose, uh, decided to um, to inflict on on Ukraine. 
Now, can you, can you give an idea to the audience, because some Americans know about it and, and some don't. And in fact, we have some Ukrainian employees who were educated in the former Soviet Union, and they didn't know anything about it until they came to the United States. But what was happening then in 1931-32? Well, uh, Stalin decided to make the big jump. Years later, Mao Zedong did the same thing with the same result. Big jump, it it meant collectivization and industrialization. And he wanted to, um, to, the, to militarize the country. And to pay for that, he decided to use um, uh, the Stalin's gold, as it was called. It means um, Ukraine's, uh, Ukraine's wet, wit. Uh, Ukraine has been very uh, fertile and very rich country and very, very good earth. And it was practically the barn for entire Russia. Uh, so they decided to sell, to sell, uh, to sell the you know the crop uh, of two years practically, and left uh, the population with nothing. Stalin was um, he was afraid of Ukrainians. He was thinking that Ukrainians are not like right citizens; that they always are rebellious, that they want some independence, that they are richer, that they are more less used to some kind of the submission and that they are nationalistic. So um, in, in one movement, he, um, he, he, uh, he realized he can have um, uh, two aims, uh, to have the money to pay his um, irrational economy and to uh, get rid of the of the of the population which was uh, which was um, the danger to the uh, to the soviet russia um, of course what i am telling now is a little simplistic but that it was the main main <coughs> main situation and he decided practically to uh, to to starve to death in the Ukrainian population, and he succeeded to some extent because several millions of people died, and those who be who survived uh, have been so broken and so afraid, and this experience of the famine and the people dying like the, like the flies was so horrifying and so humiliating uh, that practically for many many years Ukraine have been paralyzed by 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 this experience and this experience never became like the official history even statistics didn't exist so till now the historians are arguing if it was five millions or nine millions so so many so many so many nameless victims uh, are still not counted and um, uh, i decided in some point that it's something wrong with the fact that the global population, that the, the society, Western society especially, knows so little things about Stalinian crimes and communist crimes. We know pretty well Nazi crimes, German crimes, <clears throat> but what Stalin did to several nations and to his own people is forgotten and forgiven. And I was thinking that this kind of the ignorance can create very easily uh, the new restalinization. And when we've been preparing Mr. Jones, it was a survey in Russia when they asked people who was the greatest leader in the Russian history. 
and Joseph Stalin won. <coughs> I was horrified because it meant that the Russian population not only doesn't know about his crimes, they have to know it someone because everybody in Russia have been touched by this terror. But um, but but they forgave it. They think that he created great Russia. And uh, somehow the Putin is uh, the Putin and, and his politics um, also against Ukrainians is the fruit of our of Western ignorance and of um, of the um, Russian propaganda. Can you explain to the audience Walter Durante? Who was he, and what did he do back then? Durante was a New York Times correspondent. He was pretty easily, pretty quickly corrupted by Stalin. Maybe some somehow by his conviction. Maybe he thought that when somebody is building such a new world, the new you know political system and ideological system. The, victim, the victims doesn't matter. <clears throat> he had this um, saying, you cannot do the omelette without breaking the eggs. So he decided that few millions of Ukrainians are not important enough, you know, to, uh, to stay on the, on the, on the way to, to some radiant future. But most um, probably, he was just corrupted. It means he had a very good life in Russia, and um, and he was well paid for his services. <coughs> and of course, when when Mr. Jones wrote his articles, how did he respond to those articles? Um, when uh, when um, Garrett Jones wrote his articles, because he decided when he see when he's seen with his own eyes what's going on, he became some kind of the messenger for those victims. And he decided that he has has to do anything to stop this um, uh, this catastrophe, this tragedy, and uh, wrote the articles. And in this moment, he of course was endangered by by Stalinian agents who finally probably killed him. Uh, but also, he met um, non-understanding and some kind of the repulsion from the Western public opinion and from the, some politicians. But in the first place, from Durante as his colleagues, uh, who said that what Garrett Jones is writing is a lie, that nothing like that is not going on, and that is just exaggeration or lie. So uh, he was practically destroyed professionally and humanly uh, by this, by this, you know, by this um, alternative truth, um, and uh, his uh, his true was presented as a fake news, and the fake news became the official version of the history for some time, because the truth by the end is mostly coming coming up. Now, what happened to, to, to Garrett Jones? What, you know, eventually you said he was threatened. How did he die? Um, a few years later, just before his 30th birthday, he was, he was um, working in China, in, in in Upper Mongolia, <coughs> and was uh, kidnapped and killed by some bandits who afterward, it appeared that they've been connected somehow to, to KGB agents. So um, probably it was Stalin's, um, it was Stalin's doing. What he was threatened by happened in reality.
Now, you this is not the first film you've done about Eastern Europe, and especially you've done some some very interesting films about the Holocaust, World War II, about different people. And what I admire about your films that you you show the story, and it doesn't look like you're you're trying to demonize or glorify anybody. You're just telling a story of how people adapt to horrible situations. Yeah, what interests me the more is the human human perspective, you know, the individual perspective on the story. But with Mr. Jones, we went a little beyond it. We we wanted also to show the mechanism, because I I I believe personally that um, we are in somehow similar situation like in 1930s, and that some uh, conditions um, which made um, the race of Hitler possible. Um, are now present as well. And I wanted to show that uh, when the media are corrupted, when the governments are cowardish and the public opinion is indifferent, anything can happen. The worst things can happen and that democracy cannot survive without free, objective medias. Well, uh, uh, you may not, but the media... Do you have any comments on, on the media today, whether in, in Europe or whether in the United States? Well, I think that they are trying to do the best, but it's a little late. I think that the West is waking up, but for the last eight years, because the war in Ukraine started eight years ago with the annexion from Crimea and, you know, and the provocation on Donbass, and um, the reaction of the media and also of the, of the governments have been very mild. And um, after some sanctions, it, uh, the business as usual started, and practically the West was feeding Putin for eight years, especially especially Germany and, and Austria, but also other countries, believing that when we are doing business with him, we hum- humanize him, and he he will see the interest in um, in being rather our collaborator than the, just just this wild. Uh, dictator but it didn't work and for <clears throat> for somebody like Garrett Jones and for some very few journalists it was clear that it was not gonna work and uh, it was based not on the intuition but on the facts and I think that um, that uh, the West including the media, have been quite blind to those facts. They don't want to see the truth. All right, listen, you know, I admire you. I admire you for your films, and I mean, we could go on forever about the films, but I admire you for trying to tell the truth, trying to get the truth out. And what you, what you did for the memory of, of the people in Ukraine, thank you very much, and, and I hope, you know, the best to you and your family for the rest of your life. Oh, thank you, Michael. Best to you. And you know, the most important, best to the people of Ukraine. I have some refugees in my uh, in my home in Warsaw and also in France. And I see how the life of those people have been shattered by just some cruel and irrational decisions, which can destroy not only the life of, of those millions of people, but the life of entire continent. So 
let's hope it will not gonna happen. So the best for Ukraine, and it will be the best for us. Let's hope so. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. I'm now accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Beth, what did you think about our last guest, Ms. Holland? I'm just so glad that you got to talk to her because we were, I i was caught off guard a little bit when we watched it. Um, watched Mr. Jones. Watched Mr. Jones a while back. It was like, okay, we saw it and I was in tears, just in tears. And it's just like what you were saying. There are people that grew up in Ukraine that, didn't know that millions of people were starved to death. They didn't know the story. And um, the fact that you've you've got people in Russia that don't think any of that happened. They can't understand why Ukrainians, you know, they talk down about Ukrainians. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking that some that what's going on today is just an extension of what happened, you know, decades ago with Stalin. We can't learn and I'm 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 furious that the West, the free democracies in the West, don't really know this story. I didn't know much about it till really just a few years ago. But this is a heartbreaking movie about a heroic young man. Yeah, and, and and you know, here's the thing. We we obviously, Mr. Jones, if you haven't seen the film, please look it up. I think it's on YouTube. And you know, and and you got to have like a little bit of a strong stomach for it because it's tough and it's but that's what the truth was in 1931-32. And there are other films and you know, we we didn't really have time to talk about some of the other films and I would have loved to do that sometime. But um, you know, one of, I think, Michael, one of your favorite films that she did was with Ed Harris, To Kill a Priest. Yeah, Ed Harris and um, Christopher Lambert, uh, of course, of Highlander fame. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good movie and it's a heart-wrenching. It, it kind of it gets to you in terms of what the atmosphere was like at that time. Um, and, of course, you know, you've got all the stuff going on. Uh, uh, you've got John Paul, Pope John Paul, St. Pope John Paul, who emerged from that environment in Poland You've got the reality of the fact that the Soviets considered any kind of faith, and the you know communist bloc in general considered any kind of faith essentially dangerous to their worship of the state. 
And you see that not as much with Russia nowadays. Russia's nationalist further has co-opted some of the orthodox sentiment. But in China, certainly, you see that um, Christians are on list. China has influence over the appointment of bishops. And they, you know, they, they know it's essentially the church is so regulated and you have to put the state first no matter what. Beyond that, of course, there's what they're doing with the Uyghur minority, the Muslim communities over in China. Uh, even Buddhism is suppressed to an extent that it, if it's not beneficial to the state, it's considered wasteful at best. So you see much of that mentality in China. In Myanmar right now, you've got an awful, awful issue raging there with the government that's been ruthless to its religious minorities. So, And not that long ago, that was the entire Eastern Bloc. It's easy to forget that in today's day and age. Yeah. Now, one of the getting on a religious framework, one of, one of my favorite films done by her is The Third Miracle, again, uh, starring Ed Harris. And it's about the, you know, the, 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 the debate that goes on every time somebody is put up for canonization of a saint. And basically, one of the rough rule of thumbs is the person is supposed to have engineered or through God helped on three miracles. And the debate is going back, and Ed Harris is the the priest who's in charge of proving her sainthood, and there's a, a cardinal on the board, and I, I could, maybe it's a bishop, I forget, who is a, you know, plays the devil's advocate, so to speak. And you know, and they're going back and forth, and they have two miracles, I think, that are clearly proven. And the question is, what's her third miracle? And and long, this is a young girl from Bratislava, but what happens is that the cardinal, who's in effect going for the devil's advocate, saying that um, that what is, you know, she's not worthy of sainthood, actually witnessed the third miracle when some bombs. He was a German soldier or a Nazi soldier, and he was in a, a truck, and they were being bombed, and bombs were coming right at her and also this young girl, and for whatever reason, the bombs kind of like stopped in midair and were diverted, and he witnessed the third miracle, and it's it's a very powerful story, and, you know, that that's what Ed Harris, and I think her most famous film up to now uh, was Europa, Europa, which is, you know, a strange story about um, uh, a, a Jewish boy in World War II who escapes into Poland, into Russia, but then he's captured by the Nazis, and he's he's a German Jew, so he convinces them that he's German. So that he, he convinces them that he's German. Europa, Europa, which is about a young Jewish boy, Kristallnacht, which I remember way back when we talked to Kristallnacht, we talked to the... Secretary Blumenthal, who was in Kristallnacht, but a young boy who escapes Germany, Jewish boy, then he goes to Poland, and then eventually he gets captured by the Nazis, and he tells him he's German, not Jewish, and since he's German-Jew, he speaks German fluently, so he gets incorporated into the German army, he becomes part of a hero because of some miscommunication, and he's able to speak German and Russian. There's some miscommunication. He believed to be a hero to the Nazis, and 
you know, it's it's a strange story and, and, and it's a hard story, but I guess it's one of those stories that happens out of World War II. And, and I mean, another good film that she did about World War II is In Darkness, where you have Polish sewer workers who hit out Jews during, you know, the Holocaust and World War II. And it's a very interesting story because, you know, it, it takes a look at humanity. Yeah, they're doing it for money, but they're still trying to save the people. And it's personalities and human beings who have failings on both sides. But eventually, you know, this Polish sewer worker saved dozens of people by hiding them out in the sewers at risk to his own life, even if he got paid for it. Um, I, I think it's a very interesting story. I've really got to sit down and try to see more films directed by by Miss Holland, and I'm looking forward to do that. But I, I kind of think we're running out of time right now, and I, I'm very appreciative for Miss Holland to give her time. She's a very important film director, one of the most important film directors in the world. And I want to thank her for her fight for freedom and her solidarity with the people of the Ukraine. So come back and listen to us next week at the same times and stations. Again, you were listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Bye-bye, everybody. My son, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.